Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sparking Wholeness. I'm Erin Carey, and today... Casey Bonanno is joining me. Casey Bonanno is a registered dietitian in private practice in Dallas, Texas, specializing in the treatment of eating disorders, disordered eating, and intuitive eating. Casey believes in a non-diet nutrition approach and strives to empower her clients to reject diet culture. In 2019, Casey published her first book, The Food Freedom Guide, which helps individuals navigate the process of intuitive eating. In addition to working with clients in an outpatient setting, Casey is an approved supervisor through the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals, which allows her to supervise those new to the field of eating disorders. Thank you so much, Casey, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. So first, let's just get started with your specialty is in helping people who are struggling with eating disorders. So tell me a little bit about that. And as a dietitian, your background, what brought you there? What got you into this specific field? Sure. Um, so, you know, it's kind of an interesting journey thinking back on it, but I went into college as a fashion merchandising major, actually, and I was taking some classes and it just like, wasn't really like fulfilling what I needed to be fulfilled by. And I started thinking, and I was like, I really want to do something that helps people. And so I was looking at like the sciences and getting into kind of some kind of healthcare field. And I literally just like, I didn't even really know what a dietitian was. <laughs> and I was like, right. I mean, I was like, you know, we were like 19 and you're like, Oh, that sounds good. I'll just do that. <laughs> Um, but I was reading through the majors and that one kind of just sparked my eye and I thought about it for a while. I eventually changed and kind of went down this rabbit hole and I kind of thought like, oh, that's like really helpful information, like just personally and in life, like it's very applicable, thought it was kind of cool. I was like, I want to know what food does. I want to know what's, what, you know, what's healthy and what's not healthy and all that, you know, kind of jazz. And so as I got into it, I was like, oh, this is kind of a lot different than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I actually hated every single rotation that I did in my internship. So in order to be a dietitian, wow. yeah, right. Which like, is not, does not feel super great when you're like <laughs> committed to this and you're like, Oh no, what have I done? Um, but in order to be a, uh, to become a dietitian, you either have to do, it's different now they've changed it to a master's. But when I was going through, you did a four year degree and then applied to a, uh, an internship program, or you in your four-year degree, uh, the school could have a coordinated program where you did, in the last two years, you did schoolwork and you also did an internship. So I went to TCU and they have a coordinated program. So I did it all kind of in one shebang. So in the last two years, you start doing um, half, um, a full load of classes. And then um, I think it's about 
30 hours a week of internship. And so you do, you know, you work in um, hospitals, you work in community resources like Meals on Wheels, Food Bank, and you do a little bit of everything. And there were definitely like aspects of each rotation that I liked, but I hadn't just like found anything that I was really like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. And I, I had had, you know, in one of the classes they're like, oh yeah, you know, eating disorders. And then they kind of moved on. It was like a a blip on the radar. Like we did not learn a single thing about eating disorders. We did not have, there was no set rotation for it. None of it. We did not talk about intuitive eating. We did not talk about health at every size. Like that was not a part of my education. And so, yeah, which is kind of crazy that now this is kind of my life, but, um, and now it is a movement too, which is so cool, but yeah, keep, keep going. Yes. So now, now it's a little bit better. Like I had an intern, uh, last year who actually had like an, she was from a college in California, but she had a a whole class on intuitive eating and a whole class on health at every size. So it's, we're getting there, we're getting there, but that was not, you know, 10 plus years ago. That was not part of the curriculum. So I had, you know, thought about eating disorders and honestly, I don't even really know how I thought about it. Like, I think someone mentioned to me like, oh yeah, like, you know, dietitians see eating disorders. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And so in my rotations, I, I, uh, one of them was with a outpatient dietitian at a hospital. And so I realized I like outpatient because I got to hear everyone's story. And I really, really liked that. I liked getting to know people. I liked the connection. And so then in my last rotation, you got to pick where you went. And so I picked a dietitian who specialized in eating disorders. And then she just so happened to also specialize in intuitive eating. So that was the first time that I really learned about intuitive eating alongside eating disorders. And in that rotation, I just kind of fell in love with it. And I just, I really, really love the connection between like eating, but also the psychology of eating. And I feel like the psychology of eating is something that people discount over and over and over again, or don't even know that there's a, there's a part that is all psychological. Um, so then I went on to, you know, I graduated and I just got a job because I needed a job. I worked at a rehabilitation hospital, but I was still in contact with the person that I interned with, um, who specialized in eating disorders. And she opened a facility and brought me on part-time. I eventually moved to full-time at that facility. And then I moved to a different treatment center when I moved to Dallas, because I was in, that was in Arlington. So I moved to Dallas and worked for another treatment facility And from there, uh, that was uh, about 30 hours a week. And then I opened my private practice while that was happening, kind of did it like side hustle Mm -hmm. part-time and then just kind of grew it into what it is today. And so, and you're seeing that there is a need for people like you, right? Like there's a demand. And I think that that's so, so fascinating. I don't think most people are aware of this. So Mm -hmm. real fast, can you give a little bit of a rundown on, you mentioned intuitive eating a couple times. And for some people that might've never heard of it, or they, what they think of it might not be what it actually is. Can you give a little rundown on the history and what it is? And yeah, we'd love to. Sure. So intuitive eating has been around for a while, but I think that most notably it's, it's referencing a book written in the 90s by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. 
it's just called intuitive eating. If you look it up on Amazon, it's, it's on there and they have since come out with revised editions. So get the, you know, the latest one, they just came out with a, a, a new revised edition. Um, but basically it's a series of 10 principles that are all about healing your relationship with food and kind of mind, body, spirit, connecting to your physical body to know what it wants, and then also doing what is best for you physically, but also mentally as well. And kind of we, before we jumped on this call, we talked about like, if something, if your relationship with food is stressing you out, it doesn't matter how like healthy the, phys, the physical food is, like if it's stressing you out, it's not healthy, right? Yeah. So really taking into account like the mental health components of, of your relationship with food and figuring out a way how you can honor health in a more gentle, um, more mind, body, spirit kind of way. And there, it, what's really cool about it too, is like, people are always like, Oh, you know, like intuitive eating, like blah, 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 blah. But like, they're doing more and more specific research on it and showing that like it actually does improve health outcomes. It actually does improve body image. It does improve um, like self-esteem, like all these different like tangible because people will, people, you know, really love the research, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can go on the intuitive eating website and they have all of the science, uh, the research uh, listed there and you can look at it and see kind of what it's saying. And so I think they have like a hundred plus research studies. So still fairly new. We still need to, you know, do more research, but it's a really great starting point um, to, to really kind of validate these, these principles. I love it. I, I think one of the principles, is it called gentle nutrition? Is that right? Yes. I remember right? And I yes. love that so much because I think that we beat ourselves up over so many things and yeah. including the way we nourish ourselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, and especially like right now, as we're recording this, we are on what, like day five of social <laughs> distancing, maybe longer. Yes. I don't know the days yes. are all running together, but, um, I, I find a lot of people, it's, it's interesting what's coming from that. And, and people are, talking about, oh my gosh, I'm going to gain so much weight with a social distancing. And oh my gosh. Like they're yeah. obsessing over it. And it's like, wow, if there's any time to take some comfort in food, this is a great time this to do is it. it. This is it. <laughs> and to care for yourself. Yeah. Yes. I think, yeah, this quarantine has really shed some light on just like how disordered people's relationship with yes. food and exercise is. Yes. Like, I mean, I knew it, but this has just like magnified it to me. Yeah like, oh my goodness, everyone, like it does not need to be like this. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially the exercise piece. I think that's really interesting because I, I took, I've done a whole, you know, overload of, of my relationship with food and exercise and everything. And I go to the gym and I do the things that I want to do when I feel like doing it, you know? Yes. And now it's like, well, gosh, I mean, it's, we've had some rain here. I mean, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of my, of my fun things that I can do. And mm -hmm. I do feel better when I'm enjoying my movement practices, yes. but I don't want to get into the opposite because a lot of the videos, like I'm like, Oh, I could just put on a workout video. Well, what do they talk about? Burning calories, yep. getting skinny. And it's like, mm -hmm. ah, I don't need that in my head because I've worked so hard to get rid to of it. Yes. So it's yes. really hard for people. I think that this is yes. a hard time. I mean, it's, it's a hard time anyway, but it is magnifying. I think that that's a really good way to describe it. It's magnifying our issues. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, the anti-diet, health at every size movement. Um, Gosh, there's a lot of misinformation out about that. I'm sure you know, because I follow just about every nutritional person there is out there. And man, people are mean about health at every size. Yeah. So so tell me what it is and why it's important and why it's needed. Yes. Okay. So health at every size is a social justice movement. And I think that's maybe one of the things that is not realized that it is a social justice movement. It's not healthy at every size. It's health at every size. And there's actually a book written like written by Linda Bacon now goes by Lindo Bacon and you can follow her on Instagram as well. She has health at every size and then also body respect, which are both great resources. Yes. I've read both of those and they're awesome. (laughs) They're very eye opening. Yes. Um, and luckily I was, when I was in that internship, the dietitian had me read health at every size. So, and intuitive eating, which were, you know, they just, they, they're slightly different, but they, complement each other, right? So intuitive eating encompasses health at every size and health at every size encompasses intuitive eating. And those are the two pillars that I kind of work under. But health at every size, I think like people don't understand it because they they think, well, if someone is in a larger body, how can that be healthy? And it's like, well, we're not saying it is or it isn't. We're saying it's none of your business. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, so I think like to me, the biggest kind of overarching thing that I can tell people about health at every size is it's not about weight. It's not about, you know, body size. It's about treating people with respect. And I just don't understand how people can't get behind that. Mm. Right. Because it's about providing respectful care to all individuals, no matter what size they are, which I think should be a standard for any healthcare provider. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it also means that you're going in, you're providing a safe space for people of all sizes and you're, you're asking them about their life and not just assuming the solution to their problem is weight loss, right? Like there are lots of different interventions that you can recommend. And if you wouldn't recommend it to someone in a, in a smaller body size, then you shouldn't really be recommending it to someone in a larger body size. Yes. And that is so important. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I have so many friends who are in a smaller body and they go to the doctor and they're talking about concerns that they have. And the doctor's like, well, your BMI is healthy. And so, but then if, if the same issues were happening there in a larger body, the doctor would say, well, your BMI is right. You should lose weight and that would fix your problems. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It makes no logical sense. Because also like weight is not a behavior. It's a symptom. Right. And so when we look at how we can help people and like improve health, health at every size is not necessarily about the fact that like not everyone needs to be working on their health. That is a personal decision that you, me, or whoever gets to decide if they, if that is a value or an of importance to them. Mm, right. So that's, that's everyone's individual decision, but there are ways to work on health that has nothing to do with weight, right? Like drinking more water is healthy and can improve your health, right? Like moving your body more can be good for your heart. Like all of these things, like these are actual behaviors, like 
including a vegetable every once in a while. Like that can be healthy. Not only eat vegetables, but like include them when (laughs) they sound good. Uh Um, But so there's all these different ways that you can improve health without trying to shrink your body. But what everyone says is like, oh, okay, you're in a larger body. Well then make yourself lose weight and then that will improve your health. It's like, well, that we're missing the mark there. Like that's not how we improve health. When we really look at like what improves health, it's all these other behaviors that we do that honor like our physical body. Yeah, I, that is so good. And you said something, weight is not a behavior, it's a symptom. And I thought that's a really interesting, and, and in a lot of cases, and that's maybe we could go into that, um, weight is not something we can control. Correct. You know, that's a major piece of, and I just know for my own life, my set point weight is always going to be higher than what the doctor tells me I should be based on whatever it is that they're deciding to base it on right now. Like it's been that way since I was a kid, like my whole life. And could I make myself go crazy and really try hard to get to whatever it is? Yeah. But to what expense, you know, to to what, what is that going to do to my overall health and especially my mental health? Because my number one thing is mental health advocacy and all these things that you're talking about. This is an issue of mental health, you know, absolutely. I'm sure like mental health, but man, the weight struggle, that's, that's a cycle. I had one person who, um, basically was pretty rigid and would do all the stuff and she finally kind of let go of it. And the difference was like five pounds. Right. (laughs) And so she, she had gained five pounds and she was like, I will tell you that the, like every, like it is completely worth it to be five pounds mm. higher and be completely free of that nonsense. Because sure, she, she could do it. Like she was functioning in her life, but she was like, the, what I had to sacrifice in order to be five pounds thinner is not worth it. Yes. And, and for some people, it's more than that. And something that's another good point of like, you know, intuitive eating isn't about weight. Yeah. You can lose weight. You can gain weight. You can stay the same weight. It's about healing your relationship with food. And depending on your situation, any of those three things could happen. So if you run into someone who is promoting intuitive eating for weight loss, that is not real intuitive eating. (laughs) Yes. That's really good. Cause there are a lot of people, um, like hashtag intuitive eating. And then you see the rest of the post. It's like, wait a minute. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, wait, why is this about weight loss? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a before and and after picture hashtag intuitive eating. Right. Exactly. It's like, no, 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 no. Run for the Hills. Everyone run for the Hills. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, another thing for me that's been helpful is also like, I don't have to like foods that are healthy for me either. Um, like Mm -hmm. asparagus. I don't like asparagus. I've tried. My husband makes it, it, you know, and I'll eat it. If he makes it, if it's at a restaurant, I'll eat it. I don't like the way my pee smells afterwards. (laughs) I don't really, it's always, it's either overcooked or undercooked. I don't like it. I don't have to eat asparagus, you know, but the same goes for a lot of desserts that I had to have when I was putting them off limits. Now I'm like, Oh, that's not a now chocolate. I mean, there are a lot of things that I still right. love, but there's some things that I'm like, oh, it's really not as great now that it's not off limits anymore. Is that yeah? Is that a thing that people go through? Is that yes. there's something to that as well? When you yes, so anytime that you place anything off limits, or 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 it could go the opposite where you feel like you have to eat it, right? Because I've had some people too who like. 
on their like, quote unquote, like diet foods or whatever. It's like, I actually like a lot of these foods, but I don't know why I don't want to eat them. It's like, well, because <laughs> yeah. you, you only, because you force yourself to only eat those foods. And that's why you're like burnt out with them. But so anytime, and this is where the food psychology comes in. Anytime we place a food off limits, we are going to physically crave it and psychologically crave it. So sometimes like if we're not getting enough carbohydrates, our body will crave carbohydrates. And then people are like, oh, my body is broken or like, I'm just, you know, addicted to carbohydrates. It's like, yeah. well, I mean, sure. We're addicted to carbohydrates. So just like we're addicted to air. I mean, we have to have them to live. And so like, you feel like there's something wrong with you. And it's like, no, like you just didn't get something your body biologically needed. And then there are certain foods, like when we place them off limits, we just like really want them. So it's funny. Cause like, you know, we're in the season of Lent. And when I was way long ago, when I was in college, um, I gave up bread for Lent because it's my favorite food. And I just thought that that would be like, I wasn't trying to do anything like weight wise or anything. I was just like, Oh, that'll be like a really big sacrifice. Well, like I basically bought a loaf of bread and like ate the whole thing before Lent started. Right. Cause I was like, I don't like, it's going to be 40 days until I can have this. Yeah. And then I, um, I like slowly started to rationalize like what wasn't bread, like, English muffins weren't bread and like pizza crust wasn't bread because I was just like thinking about it so much. Yeah. And then I eventually just was like, well, screw it. This is like, I've cheated so much. Like I'm just going to eat the damn bread. And, and so then I was like, well, shoot, I'm like such a bad person. Cause I didn't do my like Linton thing and blah, 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 blah. And in reality, it was just like, well, I made myself crazy about bread because I told myself I couldn't have it. Yep. <laughs> and then as soon as soon as like I was like okay whatever I'm not going to do this anymore, I just like ate a bunch of bread. And so if you just eat the thing, you won't then like crave it and then overeat the thing. And it might take some time like as you go through this journey and you start to give yourself permission to eat these things you put off limits, you will eat too much of them. Like you will go a little, like it's going to be really exciting, going to go a little crazy. Um, but I have never worked with someone who didn't eventually have it die down and go back to a normal thing. So what you're kind of explaining is like you've built these things up in your head and you almost like, you know, you don't even know what you like anymore. It's like anything sweet would yes. do. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? totally. And it's almost like when you're allowed to eat whatever you want after you get over the hump, it's like you're almost more particular about what it is exactly that you like and that you want and you prioritize. And it's like, well, I don't even really like that. So I'm not going to eat it. Yeah. Or like yeah. you order a dessert and you're like, this isn't that good. And so you don't eat it Yeah. versus something else. You're like, oh my God, this is delicious. And you eat it. You know, so it's, it's not like, um, I guess like trying to get that need met all the time because you can, you can eat the things that you really like. Yeah, no, that's so good. I'm so glad you brought up that and told that story because that's hard for people to understand, mm -hmm. you know, like I think it's really hard for people to understand the concept of, wait a minute, I can have anything. I'm allowed right. to eat anything and, and my cravings are going to adjust. I, like, it's just... Well, I think it's Hard. scary, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's, you know, the thing, the idea is like, if I limit this stuff, 
then I'll eat it in moderation. And what actually happens is you don't eat it. And then when you get around it, you overeat it. And so that's not really like moderation. Um, and so like, but it's like, you can't, you kind of have to let yourself just like go a little crazy with it. Uh (laughs) Let your brain like understand, like it's going to get it again. And that's one thing that happens a lot is like, you know, whether it's that you're actually restricting it or there's a perceived mental restriction of it. So even if you're still eating it, but you think you shouldn't be eating it and it's bad, your brain thinks like, oh, I gotta, like, I really gotta eat all of this because I don't know the next time she's gonna take this away. The famine effect, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Or feast Um, before the famine or whatever, yeah. Feast before the famine, exactly. So even though, because I had someone today that was like, well, I don't think I ever really had any food scarcity. And then we talked about, it's like, well, there was self-inflicted food scarcity, like going on a diet is food scarcity. Yes, it is. Your body doesn't know it's 2020 and you're doing it on purpose. It just thinks it's like in a, in a, on a desert Island with no food. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Right. Because our bodies don't know, like this is intentional. Um, it just thinks like we don't have enough resources. And so it starts thinking about food and obsessing about food because that's the way for your body to get food. Survival. Yeah. It is survival. And like, we need to trust that process. Like it's there for a reason. It's there to protect us. And we go and we just screw it all up when we think we know better, you know, than than our body that's just trying to regain homeostasis at all times. It's exactly. And and you can try and you can try and you will lose against biology every time. Mm, And I think that that's really important to remember that you're going up by against biology and not like it's a matter of failure on your part or like a matter of willpower or anything like that. Like you're fighting your basic bodily instincts to keep you alive. Yeah, man. And I think too, something, one of the first things I learned actually when I went to nutrition school, I'm surprised that they told us this too, is that we we learn all these dietary theories. Well, they tell us right off the bat that 95% of diets fail. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could go into a little bit about that and um, why they fail and what the whole process of, oh, what is it? You know, I, I know uh, Linda Bacon has talked about that in Health at Every Size about the set point weight increasing. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. Okay. So the reason why diets fail is kind of because it we get in a loop, right? So uh, initially we have like a drive for thinness or like a desire to lose weight, however you want to kind of say it. And then you go on the diet and you have some good versus bad food rules or some restriction or just like very specific kind of regimen of what you should do, which then, you know, you might start to have some cravings or there, it might lead to actual deprivation and biology kind of kicks in. And then you eventually like kind of cheat on the diet or maybe you binge eat or maybe you overeat or whatever. And then you feel guilt and shame about it. And so then you kind of have to muster up the courage and you like get back on track and then you kind of do it again and again and again. So the reason why the diet cycle doesn't work oftentimes is because the diet was unreasonable to begin with, whether it like biologically didn't meet your needs, like you're not going to be able to sustain that. Or like maybe it just wasn't right for your lifestyle, right? Like let's say something was like, you can only buy organic food, but like in your budget, you can't afford to buy organic food, mm-hmm. right? So like, that's not reasonable for you. Like mm-hmm. that is not something that you can sustain. So usually there's, um, 
you're kind of already doomed from the beginning. Yeah. And then, you know, cause it's like, it's not going to work long term. Diets work short term, but then you gain all the weight back. And this is where mm-hmm. the kind of set point theory comes in. So let's say you, you force your body into deprivation and you eventually lose some weight. As soon as you stop doing whatever you're doing and resume normal eating habits, um, usually they're, they're, they're in excess because you're, you're rebound eating, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to gain that weight back plus two to three pounds is typically what they say. I think there's like in research, there's like a percentage or, or whatnot. And so effectively, every time you yo-yo diet, you actually increase your body's healthy set point weight. And the reason why it does that is because it thinks... I kind of, this is how I say it. It's like, it thinks like, oh shoot, like if that ever happens again, I better have more resources. Mm. Like I, I need, I need a little bit extra because the last time I didn't have enough. And so every time you go on a diet, you're actually increasing your weight through the kind of after effects and the rebound weight, because your body is actually trying to protect you, which I think that it's always really important to realize that the body is on your side and everything that it's doing is trying to keep you safe and protected and alive. And I think we can have a little bit of neutral, like more neutral thoughts or more appreciation instead of like anger and, and resentment or fear towards the body. Um, because even though it's doing something you don't want it to do, it's on your side and it's trying to help you. Mm, that's good. And even just the way you think about your body makes a difference in that process mm-hmm. too. And so if your body's doing that and you're like, oh my gosh, my body sucks. I hate my body. Like, why does it always do that? Like, gosh, how detrimental is that for our overall health, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so sad that we do that to ourselves, but it's, it's, it's so common. Yeah. Well, and I, there's this, um, this one research study that just came out and it was a, it was a correlation, not a causation. Um, but it kind of said that actually the way that you think about your body and if you have negative thoughts about your body, it actually increases, um, inflammatory biomarkers in your body, which may lead to more disease long-term. So actually how we think about and it probably applies to like all thoughts, right? Like if yeah. you have really like destructive negative thoughts, it could actually lead to physical disease more so than mm. having like neutral or more positive thoughts. So I just think that's a really interesting concept. And I think it kind of falls into what we're talking about of like, if you are mentally not well, or you're struggling with body image or your relationship with food, like that actually ends up being less physically healthy for you in the long run or could potentially be. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so good. With that, I think it's a great time to segue into orthorexia. I mean, we're kind of already talking about it, but I've thrown around this term quite a bit. People are like, what in the world are you talking about? I think since I kind of got onto this um, haze kick and this intuitive eating kick and I'm playing around with it, posting things on my Instagram. I think that some people think I've gone crazy, but (laughs) orthorexia is like a real thing. Yes, it's a (laughs) real thing. You can help explain what what it is and, and why it's increasing. Yes. So orthorexia is a obsession with health or being healthy to the point where it becomes detrimental. So we're not talking about like, oh, like I'm concerned about my health. So I'm going to go on a walk or something like that. It's It's something that eventually leads to you being 
more unhealthy. So it could be that, um, you know, you have a lot of food rules that um, cause you to restrict, or it could be that you have a uh, obsession with clean eating. And so you're not able to eat all the things that you need to eat or any kind of rule. I would say um, a lot of people with eating disorders have this, but I think it's also more can, can maybe apply to the more general population um, more so. I think that it's, there's also a side of it where there is morality and superiority with a mm-hmm. certain way of eating. Mm-hmm. And you think that you are better than <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because of how you eat or, or there's some kind of it's judgment and all, of, you know, guilt, shame, all of that is a part of it too. There's some perfectionism and control there too, right? Absolutely. Somewhere absolutely. There. And so some of the things that fall into orthorexia that maybe you wouldn't think of, um, you know, there's the traditional things that I just said, but also like um, using religion as a reason to mm-hmm. change your food um, mm-hmm. or something like that, like that would also fall into, into orthorexia. Now, I'm not saying that every person who fasts for religious person, for religious reasons is orthorexic, but it's to what extent and how far are you taking it and how extreme is it and all of that. So I think that this really plays into um, modern culture because the fixation diet culture has a really big fixation on what is the healthiest thing to eat. And there's definitely, but it's not really like, it's kind of, it's, it's under the guise of health and wellness, but what they really mean is thinness. Like what they really mean is yes. being thin. So under it in diet culture world, it's, it's, you do this to be healthy and well, but also really like that means thin. Yep. Yeah. So there's like a specific body type that is culturally acceptable. There's a certain way to eat, certain way to exercise. And if you don't, fit in it, then you're not good enough. Right. And, um, most of the time what that looks like or what we're told it should look like is really unrealistic for the majority of people. Like you said, kind of an example is that like you naturally exist in a, in a higher range than like what the doctor numbers say you should, but that's what your body naturally, that's how it exists. Right. But then we have these numbers saying like, that's wrong. It's like, well, how is it wrong? Because that's what your that's your genetics. That's like how your body is healthiest. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, and we, and people, we all, I mean, I think it's so, so common. We push ourselves to fit this mold, the societal mold of this is what health looks like. And going back to that, that cuts out so many other people who also deserve to be able to pursue healthy habits if they want to, or, or whatever you want to call, you know, behaviors and, and all those things. I still don't know all the wording for everything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, yeah. And I, I think that that's important to be aware. Um, I think that there are a lot of people right now, um, myself included, I cut out some things for my diet thinking that I had, you know, food sensitivities and all these issues related to that food when turns out I really didn't, I kind of made it up. So (laughs) I think, think, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. That goes along with it. Right. I mean, that's a a big thing right now. I mean, the, the, the idea that like people just like kind of straight off the board think like 
dairy is unhealthy and gluten is unhealthy and right. soy is unhealthy. Like if we listened to everything, we wouldn't be able to eat anything. Totally. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like that doesn't make sense. And how can someone say eating plant-based is the best? And this other person saying like, Oh, like red meat and like high fat content. And like, they both are, they both can't be right. Right. So, yeah. and, and the conclusion is that neither of them is right. Um, it's, yeah. it's all about like, what's right for you. Like maybe some people like naturally lean towards more plant-based, whereas some people have higher meat content or high, higher fat content, but it's all about figuring out like what foods do you want to eat that you like the taste of that you have a preference for and what makes you feel physically well. And you have to be really honest with yourself about the physical wellness part, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because like you said, like you kind of had convinced yourself you didn't feel good. I will say that a lot of times people will come in to my office and think they have an intolerance. And what actually is happening is that they aren't eating enough food and therefore their GI tract is actually not functioning at a hundred percent. And just by eating enough food, all of their problems are alleviated. That's so good. I'm so glad you said that because I, I know that that's really common, the topic of IBS and anxiety. But I know that that if you're anxious about something, it's going to disturb your sum- stomach. And so if you're Absolutely. anxious about what you're eating, you're at a party and you're like, oh my gosh, I know this, 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 and that are all in my food right now. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Well, yeah, my stomach's going to start hurting. <laughs> right, I'm exactly. Because you're afraid it's yeah. going to hurt you. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really important to bring up. Up. You're like just preaching. I love it. There's so many good <laughs> things happening. Yes. Uh, so, how do you step by step help people get onto this journey and mm-hmm. learning? Because you can't give them, you can't give everybody a similar plan because right. there is no one size fits all. So, how do you walk them through this journey? Sure. Um, so, kind of the first thing that I have people to start to do is just be curious. Just think about your, as you're going through your life and you're eating and things like that. Like when they're working with me, I'll have them do a very basic food journal where they just write time and what they ate, no quantification of it. Um, just to look at patterns and behavior. I don't really care what it is. I'm looking at patterns and behavior and, and I might look at like, are you eating enough? Because Mm. I think a lot of times we have symptoms because we're not eating enough, but just be curious about it. Just think about like, oh, that's interesting. Why did I do that? Or why didn't I do that? Or kind of what is, I just think that the question of why you're doing something or eating something or not eating something is so much more interesting than what you're eating. Absolutely. Yes. I agree. So start to ask why. I would say also try to eat on a, like in a consistent manner, whether that's, I I generally say every three to five hours. Mm -hmm. So that's typically like three meals and a snack or two. Um, to me that, that is just kind of regular normal eating for some people. They don't need snacks. They have bigger meals. That's fine too. Like that's kind of the general thing that I say. And then we figure out like for that person, like what is the right kind of timeline or whatever. And that way, I think one big thing is like also making sure like you're eating often enough that you're not getting to the point where you're like so hungry that then you're eating Uh, and then overeating. Cause I think anytime you get really hungry, what you like, everything gets more extreme, like quantity, mm -hmm. what you pick, like everything. And it feels way more chaotic. So trying to eat on a somewhat regular schedule 
And then, you know, I teach the hunger and fullness scale, which is like this, Mm -hmm. like a whole thing, but basically what it is, and you can, you can Google it and find different hunger scales or whatever. And there's, there's a couple different ones out there, but basically every time you go to eat, just asking yourself, like, what is my body saying? Like, is it saying that it wants food every time you're done eating? Like, how full are you? How satisfied are you? But it basically forces you to connect to your physical body because we all have these signals, right? Like hunger, fullness, thirst, you know, tired, need to go to the bathroom. Like our body sends us messages constantly and then emotions, right? Like those are messengers too. And we have to kind of be open to receiving those messages to understand them and then do what our body needs to do. So really try and get people to like connect to their physical body so that they can honor it in that way and start to build that relationship and rebuild that trust. Because most of the time after you've gone on diets or done whatever, like you don't trust what your body is saying to be true. Yeah. And the only way you're going to learn to trust it is by listening to it. Oh, that's hard. That's really hard. That's a loss of control for a lot of people. And so that's why you are needed. You are a needed resource. And so I'm I'm so I know a lot of what I do is just saying, telling people like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, like, Like you have permission to do this. Like you're not like, this is temporary. Like even if you do go out of control, this is temporary. Like we there's another side to this. I've never had someone who couldn't like get on the other side of, of the kind of chaotic eating where it's like, um, because they've restricted it. Like it's just, I haven't like, unless someone has just like stopped doing the work and stopped the process or something like that. But, um, I think everyone's fear is like, this isn't ever going to stop. And it just, I've just never experienced that in, in all the years that I've been doing this, um, that like it eventually doesn't die down. Cause you can use like a more specific example, right? Like if I was to say like, what, you know, like today eat ice cream for every single meal and snack by the end of the day, you're going to be like, Oh my God, can I eat something else? Right. (laughs) So that's kind of like a condensed version of it. And because you're not eating it in, like one one day kind of time frame, like it takes a little bit longer. Um, but tr- you, you know, trusting your body is really difficult. But the only way you're going to start the process is just by trying it. Yeah, yeah. And you can do it in little ways. Like if the food one is too big of a one, like do it with thirst, or do it like try to do it with, um, you know, physical aches and pains or try and do it with sleep or something like that. Maybe that feels safer to start out with, but essentially it's still building that trust as well. Um, and then you can segue into like more like food stuff if, if that feels maybe like an easier step for people. Yeah. And, and it's really tapping into self-awareness for people, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's crazy how we've lost that because we're so used to, I mean, it starts at a young age. You're told you got to eat this mm-hmm. and this amount of time at this hour. And then you're not going to have anything. I mean, poor kids. You have dessert you know, if like, you don't finish your, your, your chicken. Things. Yeah. Yes. All of these things. And that's what I'm really working on. My, my next journey is working on this with my kids, you know, and how yeah. to 
to figure that out for them too, because I mean, I don't want them to have to go through what I went through with my relationship with food. And so, man, it just, it's such a, it's so much to unravel, but I love the way that you explain everything. Um, Now, if you could give, this is a question I always ask everybody with all of this, if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? What would be your one piece of advice? Oh gosh, only one. (laughs) I mean, I think, um, let's see, just spark towards wholeness. I, I think realizing that like your body is not the problem. That's good. I'm writing that one down. That's so good. (laughs) I think it's a, I think it's a big one. And so let me like explain a little bit, but I think, I think so often people look to change their body. And in reality, they think it's going to change something else. So like if I was thinner or if I lost X amount of weight, then I would X, Y, and Z, get the job, go on the date, do whatever. And in reality, like you can do all those things no matter what body size you are. Right. So I think that we get so many messages too, that your body is wrong or the problem, or if you could just do this, then you would feel better. You would be more confident. You would. So I want everyone to kind of, I like take my patients kind of through these, um, kind of like downward waterfall effects of like, okay, like I, I want to lose weight. I'm like, okay, why? What's going to happen? Like, um, I would feel better about myself what's going to happen if you feel better about yourself? Well, if I felt better about myself, then I would feel more confident. And then I would go out with my friends more and then, you know, whatever it may be. And I'm like, okay, well, so what you're really telling me is you want connection and you want like significant relationships. And so what can you do to focus on that and actually work towards that versus weight loss? Yeah. Right. And I've never found someone (laughs) that I've worked with where it was like, there wasn't more to it, right? Like it wasn't just like, oh, uh, weight loss or whatever, Mm -hmm. even like to be healthy, right? Like I want to be, I want to lose weight because that's going to make me healthy. And like, what's going to happen if you're healthy? Well, then I'll be around, then I'll feel better and I'll be around for my kids longer. And it's like, okay, well, so that's really about your fear of like, you know, not being around for your kids or wanting to like be able to experience. So what could you do that would increase health versus focusing on weight loss, right? So there's always more to this mm-hmm. equation, but we're told in our culture over and over and over again, like weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, your body's the problem. Like if you had a different body, your life would be great, you know, whatever it is. And so I just want everyone to know that like you can do all the things you want to do. Obviously there are physical limitations to being in larger bodies, of course. And so I'm not trying to like minimize that or say that's not a real thing because it is, but a lot of what we're trying to accomplish can be done in other ways. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's where we need to have more people like you sharing this. And, and so where can people find you, follow you, get your book, get your, I know you do these great videos that are meal prep videos, which I'm sure you're not doing right now. I am not. I am not doing them right now. (laughs) Probably putting a halt on that right now, but um, yeah, but they're really helpful. And I love what you include. You always include like a vegetable and, and so, but also like fun stuff, fun food. And so, Anyway, yeah, and it's really just like it's just stuff that I'm eating, you know, like it's yeah. and it's really not like any it's so funny. I posted on Instagram, like on my story or whatever, like a 
just like a pic- real quick picture of my lunch or whatever. And it had flaming hot Cheetos on it. And <laughs> I got so many DMs about my flaming hot Cheetos, like in a, in a, in a good response, like, Oh my God, like I forgot how much I love those. And that's so cool yeah. that you can, that you're eating them. And like, you know, that sort of thing. I'm like, yeah, of course I'm eating them. I like them kind of thing. And it's, yeah. you know, it's so it's, it's fun, but so people can find me on Instagram at Dallas Nutritional Counseling. And then that's also my website, dallasnutritionalcounseling.com. You can find my ebook, The Food Freedom Guide at thefoodfreedomguide.com. And if you want to purchase um, the book, you can use the code wholeness and you can get 20% off for um, being kind of a part of this podcast and everything. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. And those are kind of like the easiest ways to um, to find me. Um, you know, it's also linked to Facebook and all that stuff too. But, um, if you type in my name, Casey Bonanno or Dallas nutritional counseling on Google, like it will, it will all come up. Great. Oh, this is so awesome. This has been so much fun. So eye opening. And I really, really hope that this helps people the way that it's, it's continued to help me as I process everything. So thank you again for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.